Hello, and welcome back to Tales from Wisteria Lane, the podcast where we have the cheek, the audacity, the gall, and the gumption to give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. I'm Billy Ray. And I forgot to write down a joke, Joel. <laughs> oh, it wasn't me this time. <laughs> Completely forgot about it. In this episode, we are doing season five, episode 10, A Vision's Just a Vision. I'm going to be doing the breakdown of the episode, and Joel's going to be doing the trivia, the fun facts, the research, whatever you want to call this segment. Do you have anything to start us off with? I do. So, this episode was aired on the 7th of December 2008, and it was directed by Larry Shaw and written by Mark Cherry and David Flibot. Flibot? Not sure how you pronounce that surname, so Soz David. In this episode, I really was quite stumped for trivia, because I couldn't find anything. So I did trivia on Lou Gehrig. Who's Lou Gehrig? Who I knew you were going to say who's Lou Gehrig. I'm really surprised you don't know who Lou Gehrig is. I know you're not like a sports person, but neither am I. I'm guessing this episode is the first time you've ever really heard of the the name Lou Gehrig. Oh, is he the baseball guy? Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, He was an American professional baseball player who played for 17 seasons in Major League Baseball for the New York Yankees. He was renowned for his prowess as a hitter and for his durability, which earned him his nickname, the Iron Horse. He was an all-star seven consecutive times a Triple Crown winner, an American League Most Valuable Player twice, and a member of six World Series champion teams. He still has the highest ratio of runs scored plus runs battered in 100 plate appearances, which is 35.08, and per 100 games, which is 156.7, among the Hall of Fame players. In 1939, he was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame, and he was the first Major League Baseball player to have his uniform number, which was number four, retired by a team. He voluntarily took himself out of the lineup, stunning both players and fans after his performance on a field became hampered by an undiagnosed ailment, subsequently confirmed to be amyotrophic lateral sclerosis which is an incurable neuromuscular illness, and it is now commonly referred to in North America as Lou Gehrig's disease, but most people around the world will know it as ALS. The disease forced him to retire at the age of 36 and claimed his life two years later, and in 1969, the Baseball Writers Association of America voted Gehrig the greatest first baseman of all time. In March 2021, Major League Baseball declared June 2nd henceforth to be Lou Gehrig Day, and June 2nd was chosen because this is the anniversary of when Gehrig became the Yankees' starting first baseman in 1925 and when he died in 1941. Oh, so pretty cool to actually have his autograph then. Oh yeah, like he's probably the most famous sportsman in America, yeah. Lou Gehrig. But I think he was the most famous person in probably in the world at that time that really suffered from it. Yeah. This is a little homage to Lou Gehrig, who, mm. although I'm not a sports person, seemed like quite a phenomenal person. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah. Also on this day, the song in America that was number one was Beyonce's Single Ladies. Sick. And in the UK, it was Leona Lewis' Run. <laughs> <laughs> Those are vastly different songs. <laughs> Very different songs. Uh, and that's all my trivia. Well, the well of trivia was dry today, wasn't it? Sahara Desert, babe. (laughs) It really was, but I gave a lot of information on Lou Gehrig. I mean, this is a very gay podcast, but who who says we can't be versatile and and talk about sports? Exactly, I'm verse. Uh... Even even (laughs) literally the most boring sport on earth, baseball, we we don't mind talking about. (laughs) No, because we have our own version of it over in the UK and it's called Rounders. So previously, Susan and Mike got into a car crash during the five-year time jump, which led to the end of their marriage due to Susan's overwhelming guilt at someone's life ending. Mike moved on from Susan and got with Catherine, eventually. Carlos was told that he could have surgery which might recover some of his vision. 
Orson is going to get surgery to stop him from snoring, and Dave blamed Porter Scarvo for the arson on Warren's bar in the previous episode, stating that he saw it. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. God, Oprah Winfrey was visiting the set today. She was like, you get a surgery, you get a surgery, right? <laughs> get a surgery. <laughs> oh, throwback. So I quite enjoyed this episode. As a TV episode, I thought there was drama, there was heart. There was humour. Yeah, I thought this episode was actually really good. It was really funny. None of the characters, I think, had a really bad storyline. And that doesn't happen very often from this point onwards. There's always one where we're like, ugh. Yeah, there's always, there's usually one where you, know, you roll your eyes at the storyline because it's just not as interesting. But actually, this one, they all seemed to be quite even. So we'll start with Lynette, who probably has the most high-stakes drama that I've ever seen. And I thought it was very good because it's all about Porter and he's been accused of the arson. Yeah, Lynette's storyline for, for the next several episodes will be about this. Yeah, and this one ramps it up to a, a very dramatic sitcom televised drama level. Yeah. I mean, it starts with her not being able to remember the last time her family all had breakfast together. And this probably marks the first time in a long time where we've seen the family all have breakfast together. You've got the parents, the twins, Parker, Penny. Yeah, like, it was a lovely sentiment. Lynette just wanted to have a nice morning with her family. And who can blame her with all the drama that's gone on recently because then the police do show up and arrest porter and mary alice says that it's going to be many years until they all have breakfast together again so she clearly wants us to think that he is going to go to prison for a long time oh yeah but really i'm not going to give spoilers because it's probably just that they just don't have breakfast together again because of the trauma of this event maybe (laughs) i would imagine so i mean i would be hesitant to ever have breakfast as a family again so bob is representing porter as his lawyer and the stakes just keep ramping up in this episode so here's his alibi although it's not really an alibi the net does point out it's more of a confession he was at Edie brit's during the fire or when the fire started because he went to get her gun to threaten Warren a little bit you know yeah (laughs) no one saw this though so Lynette says it's more of a confession yeah (laughs) it's a confession to another crime and can we we can't let Tom's comments slide by Lynette certainly does but Tom's like don't tell me you're having sex with Edie too like I'd kill to have sex with someone like a 17 year old 17 year old and I'm just like Tom mm mm-mm that line aged like milk. Yeah, it did not age well. <laughs> also, isn't the legal age of consent in the US 18? I think so. What's Bob going to think? Right, Bob, Bob doesn't matter. Bob's a lawyer. It doesn't matter. But, you know, <laughs> you've probably got police on the other side of that window. So first we find out that there is bail, but it's really high. And they don't have an emergency fund for the bail because Lynette used that to get rid of Anne Schilling. So there's no bail money. They can't put up their house for bail bonds because it's already mortgaged the shit out of it. And so Lynette's going to have to put up the restaurant. And as soon as this happened, I was like, oh, the stakes are high. I mean, 20k is high, but it is also his second attempt at arson. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Although they weren't actually charged the first time, but Lynette does have a point. 20k is steep. Well, let's also not forget about the amount of death. Yeah. Obviously, they don't, they're not the richest family. Mm. So he might just have to sit and rot for a little while. Um, Yeah, I think that there is a very, well not comedic, but it's a very TV moment when Lynette has to sneak the gun that he stole from Edie back into her house. Yeah. And she takes it out of the flower and she's having to like carefully brush it off because she doesn't want to shoot it. I want to give props where props are due. Lynette knows what to do in a crisis. Yes. In this season anyway. She looks around and she's like, you guys are in a crisis. 
and then she'll like calm Tom down. Tom's the one freaking out, and he's like, "Oh my god, how have we, how have we become this? We've become the white trash." And one, you've already, you've been white trash since the beginning, Tom. But, um, but he's like, "Oh, how have we done this?" And then it's like, "Tom, just shut the fuck up. If you're gonna freak out, can you do it upstairs?" Right. I've, <laughs> I've got work to do. It's a shame she couldn't be more like this in later seasons when there was actual more need panic. for it. Yeah. <laughs> now I bring that bit up because it's important because she wants to basically go into Edie's house and return the gun sneakily. And there's a little bit that I'm going to talk about a little bit later, but. Basically Basically, she goes past Dave to saying that she wants to borrow one of her jumpers. And she does return the gun and take a jumper while Dave is having a little vision moment. Yeah. Which she does clock onto. She notices this. She doesn't say anything because woman's got her own problems to worry about. She doesn't say anything. And actually, I don't think she ever says anything. Oh, because I mentioned it now because I thought maybe this will come up later. No, I okay. don't think she ever mentions seeing anything. What a useless moment then. Right? <laughs> Um, because that could have been something like Lynette could have obviously sorted her own problems out and then tried to give Edie a bit of a polite heads up. And then the tension and the stakes build even further because Warren sees Porter at the park after he's been bailed out and starts to threaten him proper mob boss style, which, you know, Joel loves. Uh, Yeah. Uh, But yeah, he literally threatens to kill the guy. (laughs) I literally do have. They're really trying to frame Wayne as some mob boss type. Fat Tony over here threatening the life of a teenage boy. And I literally thought as soon as he come up to you, you could be like... And Preston. Yeah, I know. It would have been really awkward if that wasn't Porter. Yeah, but everyone seems to be able to spot them two apart. I can't really tell them apart that well. Neither can I. But we know that the parents, well, Lynette can. And this guy clearly can. And then later on at the court, <laughs> we actually have Preston pretending yeah. to be Porter. But Lynette points him out right away. She clocks him. Do we, okay, This I need to ask this question to our listeners. Do we have any twin listeners? And would you do something like this for your twin? Because this is hardcore. Like, it, twins would do anything for each other. It feels very, like, wholesome Olsen twins film vibes. Yes, like, Mary-Kate and Ashley, if you're listening, guys, <laughs> yeah. please, just, like, give us the tea. Would one of you go to jail for the other one? <laughs> and this is where the tension and the stakes are raised again, because obviously they can't afford for him to go to jail, but they can't afford to... Postpone. Yes, because the restaurant's up for bail bonds and... Well, yeah, they, what a mess. They, they've paid bail and... Porter has now ran off on bail, so they lose that money if they end up coming out and saying, oh, we've lost Porter, this is actually Preston. Yeah, so Lynette doesn't explain why they can't do that. She doesn't tell them about the restaurant. That's going to be a big drama coming up, I imagine. It will be, yeah. But basically... I enjoyed Lynette's story. Every single scene, things got worse. (laughs) (laughs) Lynette's story was so much fun. And it was fun. As in, it was high stakes tension fun where I was like, oh my God, what could possibly get worse than this? And then it just did. But she's tackling it. Girl is tackling it. Brie, season one Brie would have checked herself into a psych ward with all of this going on. Lynette is handling it. She's not turned to the the drugs or whatever she turned to in season one like she did when she was struggling with the twins last time. (laughs) Yeah. Now, let's talk about Gabby's story, which has a bit more heart. It I'd, does, I'd say. yeah. And some hilarious Gabby moments, of course. So, in Gabby's story, Carlos has had the surgery from the previous episode that they were talking about, and he's starting to get some of his sight back. At the start, he can only see light and funny shapes, but apparently it won't be long until he fully gets his sight back, and he does start to develop that a bit more over the episode. Yeah, I mean, I guess he has an excuse for confusing Gabby and the Doctor. <laughs> because it's funny. like, oh, I can't, I can't see anything. Oh, I can't see anything. I'm still kind of blind. Uh. 
so anyway, he's getting his sight back and we get to the main crux of the episode a bit later on. They're having a sort of celebration thing of some sort and Carlos tells Susan and Brie all about this baseball that he has signed by the famous player that Joel talked about in his trivia. Uh, but they're a bit confused because it's just an ordinary baseball. Yeah, like, it's just, it's rule number one. Brie said it, you know, you don't sell a man's collectible sports item. That's just off limits. Yeah, it was a bit of a gag, especially when Susan's like, it's round, what's so impressive about baseball? Mm. <laughs> so Gabby does try and get it back, but the sleazy Italian guy says that if she wants it back, she has to do a dance on the table for him, which, mm. I, which I hated. So she does a walkout and she ends up not getting it back. And after this, Carlos gets more vision back and he gets emotional because he can see his kids. That was a nice moment. Yeah, and it was all going so well until Gabby mentioned the baseball. Yeah, but that's because he brings up the painting and she's like, I sold it to pay for tires or something. Yeah. And he's like, oh, it's fine. I'm getting my sight back. Who cares about things? And she's like, oh, okay, good, because I also sold your baseball. But yeah, I mean, she didn't quite say it like that, but... (laughs) She was like, oh my god, it's just, it's so good to hear you say that. Like, I sold your baseball. And then Carlos just instantly flipped. Like, we, you did what? We came back to old Carlos. Although, it's more understandable because it's sentimental value as opposed to just, it's signed and it's a material thing. Mm. So, at least there was that about it. Yeah, but like, just, it's a special day. Gabby's admitted that she's feeling awful and guilty for selling it. And he still speaks to her like shit. So Gabby does try and get the ball back from the sleazy guy and she does do a dance on the table for him to get it back. But I want to point out that the show didn't show her doing the dance, which I liked. No, I liked that. They're not exploiting her body the way this man is. No. And they also kind of make it quite humorous. Like she comes back in with a limp and Carlos is like, oh, what are you doing? She was like, fell off a table. So it's not even like they're implying that the dance went really well and she was really sexy. Like even then she was on that table clumsy as shit. But he still gave her the ball back. He did still give her the ball. She did what he asked. She didn't say that she was a good dancer. We have to say though, knowing Gabby, she could have just run off with it after that. She really, yeah. For all we know. She, well, yeah. (laughs) Limped off of it. Yeah. (laughs) So... This, it just so happens to be at the moment when Carlos is looking around, getting his sight back more and more, and he's noticing just how empty Gabby's wardrobe is, for her anyway. Yeah. For a regular person, it's like, that's a lot of shoes. But for Gabby, it's like, oh, that's not a lot of shoes. <laughs> no, I know. I aspire to be to have Gabby's shoes one day. Yeah. To have her number of shoes. And I think you can tell that Carlos might be feeling a bit guilty about having such a go at her. Good. Especially when she comes back with the ball and he's like, oh, what have I done? What right? Have I done? Uh, is he going to stop being a baby now? He's noticed that Gabby has sold an awful lot of her stuff as well. Yeah. It's not like she's held off on selling her shit and she's just been secretly selling Carlos's. Well, that's it's... the thing. He, she sold things that were sentimental and that he loved and that annoyed him. And now that he's got more of his sight back, he's noticed that she's done that with things that she loves. It's gone both ways. Yeah. She's just been trying to keep them afloat. Which I respect because I probably wouldn't have done that. If you were blind, I'd have sold all your shit first. <laughs> <laughs> left mine. You were the wiser. <laughs> so he then sells he sells the baseball and uses the money to buy Gabby a dress, which is a very nice thought. Although the dress e- is hideous. Even if the dress looks like something you'd see on toddlers in tiaras. It, yeah, it was vile. I was like, a new dress. I don't like it. Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it. It's not nice. It looks like one of those preggy teddies. Maybe he hasn't got all of his sight back yet. <laughs> <laughs> he can make out colour and shape and that was all you needed to make out to notice that that dress was hideous. Right? I don't think that your sight is really an acceptable excuse for buying that dress. First of all, that's the worst outfit award. 
Not that I'm doing those anymore, but that's the worst outfit award, and it's not even being worn on anyone. I can tell you it's the worst outfit just sitting on a hanger. Second of all, I will be keeping an eye out to see if Gabby actually wears that shit. Well, she wears it at the end of the episode. Does she? Yeah, in the um, epilogue montage. Oh, I didn't even notice that. There we go. And I hate it even more on her. <laughs> However, the sentiment was nice. The sentiment, and he, he says thank you for keeping them afloat, is a very sweet scene, even if this dress just, un- well, it doesn't undermine it, but it's really fucking ugly. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. That was the heart of the episode. That was the heart of the episode. I think Brie has a nice heartful... Uh, oh, yeah, Brie has Brie, heart too. I think Brie has a lot of heart, actually, in her episode. It happens because Orson has had his surgery, and Brie is leaving a thank you note for the doctor for it, and that's when she notices a photo of the doctor, Alex, and Andrew together, and she discovers that they're partners, they're living together, she didn't know any of this. Andrew says that she hasn't shown any interest in his love life, and so she says, fine, You'll just have to come over for dinner tomorrow then. <laughs> I call shade to Dr. Alex. He's gay, obviously, so he's allowed to throw shade. But I call shade on the fact that he turns to Brian Orson and says, I'm going to miss you too. Despite the fact that at the end of the last episode, he called their son to slag them off right? without realising, obviously, that it was their son. But... <laughs> You're such a fucking liar, Caminus. <laughs> god honestly and brie steals his photo she steals she, it yeah she sees the photo on dr alex's desk and then we cut to her with andrew when she she slaps the photo down on the table in front of andrew <laughs> and i'm like bitch you've just stolen his photo do you not think he's going to notice oh that's terrible it's not a great first impression of your partner's parents is it no so andrew and alex are over for dinner and it's awkward already brie is overcompensating saying about how comfortable she is with it all and we have a clip Oh, look at you two, sitting so far apart. Scooch over. Uh, Mom, we we don't need to scooch. Well, I just want you to know if you need to scooch, Alex, I am okay with scooching and the rest of it. Uh, Mom, as much as we appreciate your tolerance, uh, we can wait until we get home to make out. Well, I just want you boys to know that I am comfortable with your lifestyle. Now, who would like a strawberry daiquiri? I would. (laughs) I'd like a strawberry daiquiri. Sorry, there is, I don't care how American you are, once you get past the age of, what, 17, you've got to stop calling it making out. Why? It's just weird. It's just, oh, we can can wait until we're home to make out, mom. No, 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 no. (laughs) Interesting use of the word tolerance. That was a big thing back then, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, people are like, oh, you have to have tolerance for gay people. That's true. Do you remember that? No, you don't have to tolerate me. You have to respect me. And then it got to the point where it was like, you know what? We don't want tolerance. We want your acceptance. Yeah. What a time to be alive. Like, what a weird time. And then, like I said, she has also invited Bob and Lee over. And we don't really like Bob and Lee. But I do think this was actually quite a well-written inclusion of these characters. Like, it actually works in this context to have them over. She's trying to show Andrew that she's comfortable with him. Because, she's overcompensating. Yeah, because in the beginning scene with Andrew, he was like, you've never shed the slightest interest. And so now she's, like you say, overcompensating. And now she's gone the exact opposite, which is just awkward. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I thought Bob and Lee's inclusion made sense here. Unfortunately so. And they instantly recognise Alex. Yes, and they have a little whisper session yeah. that does not go unnoticed. No. So... Later on, Alex asks Brie if she caters for weddings, and it comes out that Andrew and Alex are getting married, and much to Andrew's dismay, <laughs> Brie instantly wants to take over. Like, just, 
Gays move quick. That's no secret. That's quite a reoccurring joke for everyone. Gays, straights, you know, everybody jokes about how fast the gays move. Me and B moved quite quickly in the beginning stages of the relationship. But engaged already? Yeah. <laughs> like, I know they've been living together at least six months. Well, he, he is a doctor. How long have they been together? Who cares? Look at the paycheck. <laughs> Look at those bedside t- cabinets that the he bought earlier. He's sitting here acting like he gives a shit about paycheck, but if he really did, he wouldn't be with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> so she takes Bob and Lee into the kitchen because they keep being whispery little bitches, mm. and this is when it turns out that they saw Alex in a gay porn movie. Shock. Oh no, porn? That's all? I did quite like that moment though when she they said that we've seen him in an adult movie, and she's like, you mean with sophistication and... <laughs> Something, something. Yeah. It's like, just no, gay porn. Everybody's shocked, but flash forward to 2022 and everyone and their mother's got bloody OnlyFans. <laughs> yeah. So it's really no shock. But yeah, what was it called? Like redeployment or something? Because didn't Lee say Bob's got a thing for... Uniforms. Oh, it was uniforms. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So the next day at work, she brings in this porno for Andrew to see but um <laughs> best present ever <laughs> breeze i like see i'm tolerant here have porn right <laughs> andrew does already know about it he knows about alex's past and in his words the mistakes he's made because alex views this moment in his life as a mistake and surprisingly for brie andrew's okay with these mistakes mm. they've gone past them considering that these mistakes were made ages ago yeah and andrew has also made mistakes so he understands that people make mistakes. Yeah, and, I, you know, props to Andrew for his mature attitude towards his own past. Right, he has changed so much. He has grown up, and I love to see it. This is how we do character development well. This is how we do the gays well. This is how we do the gays well. This is good gay. We like this gay. But he also says another reason is because he loves him. Yeah. And I think Brie finally kind of understands the relationship. She's like, oh, it's love. It's not just about being gay. (laughs) And I know that sounds like such a strange thing to say, but honestly, it happens. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's hard for a lot of people to understand that a relationship isn't about being gay. It's about love and being in a relationship. And it's not so different from a straight relationship in that regard. No, no, it's not. Obviously, I think there are obviously various factors. You know, at school, I wouldn't necessarily say it was so much about love or attraction. But for me, anyway, I'm speaking from my own personal experience. It wasn't about love or attraction so much as it was about finding, being fortunate enough to find someone who was like me. Yes. And being with them. Because at school, when you're straight, pair off left, right and centre. You break up with someone at lunchtime and you're with a new person by 3.30 when school ends. I know, it was exhausting to watch the straights at school. Yeah, but when you're gay at school and there aren't very many gay people that are actually at your school or even out mm-hmm. then um you know you find what you can and you get with them <laughs> yes yeah very true but i think it was a really nice moment for conservative brie here to finally realize that this is about love it's about a relationship love is love yeah i think it was a really beautiful scene between brie and andrew and, and i liked the fact that andrew actually thanked brie and was see, like this yeah. is the nicest thing you've ever done for me even though Why you did <laughs> you did send me to a game like a military camp yes like, but other than that this is the other than that this is the nicest thing you've done <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was a moment of growth for brie as well it, yeah it was because it's like we don't want you to just be tolerant she's actually starting to understand a bit more yeah But that's the thing with Brie. She's still got growing to do and she develops throughout the whole show. She does. She really does. Unlike some characters. Susan. 
Talking of Susan, <laughs> Mike is taking MJ to the zoo and Susan seems a little bothered that Catherine is going as well. The problem is kids pick up on these things. doesn't matter how subtle you think you are being, you're not being subtle. Luckily for Susan, MJ doesn't really like her either. Well, anymore. Because like Joel just said, that is pretty much this whole story for Susan is that kids pick up on things, you're not being subtle. Right, and the things MJ does for his mum, it's like every episode we see MJ in, he's having to do something that he does not want to do just to shut his mother up. I don't think that's the case in this particular episode, though. No. He's just picked up on these things. Well, yeah, I know, but he did not, he was not interested in going to the zoo with Catherine when Brie, or when Susan was like, oh, will you, you know, go with Catherine? And then Catherine comes down and she's like, oh, that sounds really fun. Will you show me the monkeys? And MJ's like, oh, I guess. Oh, I hated him in that moment. I was like, just go to the zoo. What, what else are you going to do? <laughs> Stick on your little lane? Ugh. But Catherine just is having a bit of a hard time because of Susan's attitude. Yeah. MJ just doesn't like her. They come home from the zoo early because he threw a hot fudge sundae at Catherine, <laughs> which Susan finds hilarious. Susan's right. It's so funny. <laughs> I think in Susan's defense, at the start of that scene when she said she's laughing because maybe the image in her head is funnier than what actually happened. And oh, I thought, yeah. you know what? That's fair. That, I do that. Yeah, I think that is very fair. Obviously, <laughs> if you were there to witness it, it probably would be more shocking than funny. But when you come home and you say, your five-year-old son threw ice cream on my girlfriend, it's hilarious. And we have a clip. Why did MJ do that? I don't know. Catherine and I were talking about spending Christmas in Bermuda, and she said she didn't want to go because she thinks she doesn't look good in a bathing suit. And I said she could be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And bam, MJ throws his dessert. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. Well, he is only five. No, I'm talking about that line you fed her. Sports Illustrated? <laughs> what was the issue about? The Senior Olympics? I'm going to talk to MJ. I mean, I could see her on the cover of Menopause Monthly. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. Well, he is only five. <laughs> <laughs> I just, Susan is reading Catherine and I live for it. But what I will say <laughs> is I think Dana Delaney would look fit in a bathing suit. She's rocking. She's wonderful. She's gorgeous. Yeah. She's stunning. Oh my God. I don't think she'd be on Menopause Monthly at all. She's a beautiful lady. She is. But this is what we were talking about. And this is why we chose this particular clip because I know Susan thinks that she's being funny, but she's coming across as really bitchy. She's coming across it's as It's no bitchy, wonder but... MG doesn't like Catherine because he's just going to pick up on this and think, my mum doesn't like you. I don't like you. Yeah, because what's well, like you say, Susan thinks she's just sort of being a bit catty and and shady and oh my god, you know, ha ha ha. Catherine's my friend, so I can joke about this sort of stuff. But MJ won't pick up on those subtle nuances. No, MJ picks up on it. We pick up on it. Edie picks up on it as yeah. well. But so, it keeps up. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> which we're about to get to. <laughs> so Mike and Mike and Catherine are over again, and they're going to take him bowling. And <laughs> I'm going to take you bowling. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Catherine does say to Susan that she would like it if she stopped slagging her off behind her back because she thinks that that's why MJ doesn't like her. I mean, she's not far off. I mean, no, but she can't just assume it's because Susan's chatting shit about her to her child. Like, yes, she's she's probably she's chatting shit about you to Mike. I get that. We've seen that. But I highly doubt that Susan's taking MJ up to read him a bedtime story and she's slagging off Catherine. <laughs> I reckon that maybe he brought it up to Mike at some point. Like, to MJ. Yeah, like maybe he said to Mike, mummy said this or something and she ever heard. But obviously we're not going to get with the whole story, are we? No, because, you know, if she's going to bitch about Catherine, you go to Julie. So Edie is there because why not? And even she brings up the fact that Susan acts a certain way about Catherine around MJ. 
Mm. Even Edie's like, well, you are being bitchy. Edie's got a very valid point. Like, Susan trying to be nice is even more awkward. Yes. So Susan takes this on board and she joins them for bowling to try and help the situation. In her mind, she's like, maybe if he sees us all as a family unit, all having fun, he'll pick up on the vibes. So the facade seems to be working as MJ does start liking Catherine again, but Mike and Susan in the background are looking a bit friendly. MJ notices this and instantly hates Catherine again and drops a bowling ball on her foot. Talk about going too far. It was one thing to throw ice cream in her hair, but breaking her feet? No. (laughs) A bowling ball, of all things. I literally was expecting him to take that bowling ball and just whack her around the face with it. I was a bit worried about what was going to happen. He is MJ is out for blood with Catherine. Yeah, because he well, like he says later, he thinks that they're gonna get back together. Yeah. Which Mike and Susan are a bit shocked by until he says, Well, that's because that's what Mummy said. <laughs> and everyone's like, What? Why is it always Susan that causes these parental faux pas? Because Susan's so messy. Like it's so she, funny. She convinced him to fall off his bike and, you know, told him to push the elevator button. You know, she's telling MJ that they're gonna get back together, like Is this a clumsy Susan moment? Yes. I'm playing the sting. And the reason I'm playing the sting is because apparently it was a month after Mike moved out and he was, MJ was crying. Mm. And she (laughs) was like, (laughs) and she was like, don't worry, daddy will probably come back someday. So now he just has it in his head that they're going to get back together. Again, this was a really nice scene in the end. I think it, it created... As annoying as it sounds, closure for Susan and Mike, despite the fact that we already had a scene creating closure for Susan and Mike. Yeah, it was a, it was that moment where Susan's basically saying, we never actually had a discussion to fully say if we won't get back together. Yeah. And I thought, well, divorce papers kind of do that. Yeah. Lady. But it's, yeah, it's one thing to sign those papers, but to be able to look each other in the eye and just say it's never going to happen again, is... Yeah, T-Swift, we are never, ever, ever getting back together. Yeah, but for Susan and Mike, it will never be officially off the table. No, and we all know that this sort of mid-beginning-ish season moment between them was just to remind viewers they may be getting new partners, but don't forget that you want them back together, right? Yeah, we as viewers, we want Mike and Susan. They're, you know, they're the JD and Elliot, they're the Ross and Rachel, they're the Jim and Pam. Yeah, as much as I don't agree with some of those relationships, the Mm. writers want you to want them to get together. And that was this moment, and it was nice. Yeah. It was a bit stupid, but it was nice. Unfortunate for Catherine, though. Yeah. That was a good, it was a good story. Again, see, can't fool any of these stories so far. Dave has a very small amount in this episode. Yeah. Thank God. So, I don't know if it's the guilt, or maybe it's the time of year, but he seems to be having these visions of a woman and a child. I don't think they're explicitly visions at first, but there's enough of a dreamy quality to the shots for you to, to know that they're not there, right? Yeah, yeah, we, we can tell that they're not there from a real-life perspective, but we also know that Dave isn't dreaming. Lynette comes over later to hide the gun and pretend to... Well, not pretend, she does take a, a jumper in the end. Yeah. And he sees them again at the front door, this woman and child, and he starts talking to them, and he's like... Did you hear what he said? I can't remember what he said now. What was he saying to them? Something I like, can't I, can't, I can't talk to you right now, or something. Talking, he was talking about how, I, I want to say it was something like, he's he's not forgotten about them, he's working to, like, he'll see them soon, he'll be with them soon. I don't think that was, don't yeah, worry. that was the ending. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. 
Either way, Lynette finds it odd because I don't think she can see them. No, she can't see them. And <laughs> she sort of is at the top of the stairs, sort of kind of hearing what Dave has to say to the door. And then she takes that information and does absolutely nothing with it. <laughs> yeah. Forget that you ever saw Lynette see this because there's no point. Yeah, the writers seem to forget. So we might as well do. And then the episode ends with Dave talking to the woman and child as it's all one shot. The camera is panning around saying that he will be with them soon and he has a plan. But first, Mike has to pay for taking them away from him. And as the camera goes behind Dave, they're gone and it's just a couple of gravestones. There's no woman just... and child, just some gravestones. Their last names are Dash. Yeah. By the way. Which is the name we have had before. And we do know that he changed his name. Yeah. So, so he is he is David Dash. Mm. Which... Mm. Not David... Not Dave whatever is... David Walliams. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I Dave, can't remember what Dave Williams. Williams, that was yeah, it. Yeah, Dave Williams. Um, so basically, we now know who Dave is after and why he is after them. Yes, and I think you can probably add one and one and make two from the um, previously bit. With the yeah. car flipping. Yeah, so Susan and Mike killed Dave's wife and child. Dave, from all the information that we have so far in the season, lost his mind, essentially, at the loss of his wife and child, was put away in an institution, came out, changed his name, married ED, and has yeah. come at to least a serial that's what the writers wants to think at the moment, anyway. Yeah. So we've already spoken about how we liked the episode, so let's move on to your <laughs> segment for gayest and straightest moment. So my award for gayest moment... Goes to Dr. Alex for doing gay army porn. I mean, how gay can you get? Yeah, being gay on film. That was, that was pretty gay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> even though an awful lot of gay porn actors are actually straight, so... Apparently, yeah. But, yeah, so congratulations to Dr. Alice. Alice? Dr. Alex? Dr. Alice? Dr. His name Alice. isn't Alice, as Lady Gaga once said. <laughs> um, congratulations to Dr. Alex for your... Hollywood Con- debut. Yeah, your contributions to the film and the arts. Yeah, yeah. Your um, adult film. And then, <laughs> what do you have for straightest moment? My award for straightest moment. <laughs> Goes to Brie for trying so hard to be okay with the gays that she just makes it weird. Yeah, she really does make it weird, doesn't she? As gay people, we don't want you to try hard to as accept gay us. As gay people, we choose our family. Yeah. <laughs> Um, as gay people, we don't want you to try hard to be okay with us. We just need you to be okay with us. Yeah, please stop this. <laughs> it's un- it's uncomfortable for mostly for you when you're trying hard. It's uncomfortable for us to watch you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We know you're then trying hard, and then we don't feel like we don't feel comfortable. But also, we will go home and laugh about it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, boo it. So um, yeah. Congratulations to Alex and Bree. And now we move on to B's segment of Best and Worst Parents. So, babe, who do you have for the best parent? My award for... Best Parent of the Episode. I gave this to Brie for coming through for Andrew when she listened to him and she realised what the relationship was about and put aside her own feelings and weirdness. Okay. It was a nice moment. Yes, yes, it was. Two awards. Good for you, girl. Yeah, I know, Brie. Well done. And who do you have for the worst parent? My award for... Worst parent of the episode. I gave this to Susan for her attitude around MJ and Catherine. Yeah, fair. <laughs> and I didn't really want to give this to Susan because I was like, it's this isn't the worst thing. But if I have to give an award, I'm going to give it to her. Yeah. I'm sorry, Susan. Yeah, no, I mean, 
I agree there. I think that that is the worst parent. Well, she was being quite catty, wasn't she? Yes, she was. <laughs> a little bit bitchy. <laughs> as funny as it was. So that was season five, episode 10, A Vision's Just a Vision. Where can people find us if they have any comments, queries, questions, and theories? You can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review, and you can find us on Twitter at BFS Review. We also have email, which is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com. And you can find Louis, who does our artwork on Instagram at docredmonkdesign. And he also does commissions on his Etsy page. And there is a link to that as well. Join us next week when we'll be back in your ear holes with season five, episode 11. Home is the place. Home. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.